This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Evan. Hello, I'm Julie. And we're going to talk about Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery, first published in 1908, and followed by many sequels, none of which I have read, <laughs> followed by many other books that are similar, uh, as far as I can tell, none of which I have read. Um, and she wrote, it said, like 500 short stories, which sounds yeah. insane. Um, uh, I read part of one of <laughs> One of them because I wanted to see some contrast. The one that was published in Weird Tales. It's called. There's uh, one in Weird Tales. Exactly right. Uh, the house party at Smoky Island is what it's called, and <laughs> it is a uh, kind of a weird tale. Um, I couldn't finish it because I found it to be quite tedious. <laughs> um, however, I did not find this novel to be tedious. Um, oh, the thank first time I, I was curious. It. First time I read it, I've I, I knew the story, of course, because I live in Canada, and you can't help but know uh, this famous book. And more importantly, the show is basically always being, you know, when I was a kid, there was a uh, Anna Green Gables TV show, and um, uh, and then they rebooted it recently. I think it's as Evan was saying, my, it's on Netflix. My daughter, who who went to film school, said mm-hmm. it's a running joke. How how many iterations there are it's like it's like the only thing we know how to produce over and over and over it's very successful as a product right yeah um it's interesting yeah like little house on the prairie here where it's always in reruns it's very much the canadian little house on the prairie Mm -hmm. right except Mm -hmm. except uh, oh the prairie there's exciting things happening like natives uh hanging out and maybe i don't know windstorms and it's been a while since I read locusts. it. Lots Lo- of locusts. Yeah, and then oh, I, I believe there's a, a, a incident where the little boyfriend uh, cuts his leg uh, and hides it from his family, and then he that has to a, be the TV show. Oh, yeah, maybe, I, which maybe. I never watched. I, I read all the books, and then he gets but... gangrene, and they go, "They're going to cut your leg off," and he's like, uh, oh. "Yeah, <laughs> hey, we know how to have drama." Yeah, out on the prairie, there's so much drama in this one, though. Yeah, there is actually. Surprisingly, yeah. so yes. Um, every 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 time she learns to do something, something goes wrong, and yeah, it's it's a it's a drama fest. On the other hand, um, it's relatively violence free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, when the worst thing emotionally, that... I was emotionally scarred over and over and over again. Were you really? Well, no, I wasn't really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for that, but no. <laughs> So, but it's the little violence this- we have has has deep consequences because I want to hear about this. Yes. It takes Anne years and years to 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 forgive Gilbert. Yeah, calling yeah. him a parrot. Right. I guess he forgives her pretty much right away. Of course, but he yeah. does over he, and over. But, well, he didn't mean almost- anything by it, right? Really, he was treating her like he treated the other girls, and she then was different, acted different. She didn't care about what he thought. Very, and wasn't trying to please to him. And she also had all this baggage, man, because she'd had a harsh upbringing to that point. So, well, that was the first thing I noticed baggage? when I turned on the. Oh, go on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I didn't. I, I, 
didn't feel like there was a lot of baggage being carried there. She felt pretty just that like, carpet bag <laughs> with the handle it almost just that off. little thing yeah. that she knew how to hold her all by herself. Yeah. But she but her she used her imagination to weave a way out of those things, but the idea that you know, she'd been twitted about her red hair, she all these various things that um that's when she would really lash out, right? So when Mrs. was it Mrs. Lind mm-hmm. or Miss Rachel Lind who mm-hmm. talks about, well, you're skinny and you got red hair and you and of course horrible manners, but back then a grown up could say that without any problem. And she's like, How'd you like to be told? Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, she had a temper. Forced, for sure. Yeah, she's forced to apologize to her and look at the fight she puts up against it. And then she finds a way out through her imagination. Well, with Gilbert, it's a similar setup, but he's more on equal terms. And, of course, she clutches it to her as, and it's a problem. We can all see it's a problem. And it's when Marissa tells her her own story that she's Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, I haven't been feeling that way for a while. I shouldn't be so proud. Mm -hmm. Like Evan says, it's all got consequences. And you see the problems with holding on to all that. But that's, to me, that's part of the baggage is she's never been valued as a person. Mm. And so she takes all those things as a direct attack because that's all, you know, she's nothing otherwise. So, Evan, you you said something interesting about uh, the adaptation, uh, the latest Netflix one. Checked out the new Netflix adaptation, which I didn't really know existed because it's only sci-fi and I did because I live in sales and stuff like that. It might you, but <laughs> I I went and looked for it. And with an E is mm-hmm. the name of the series, and it's in its third season now. But I think it's not on Netflix. Only two seasons are on Netflix now. The other ones, however, it's originally yeah, it's broadcast. CBC, yeah. I think, yeah. Um, and pretty much within five minutes of that. Show because they actually have a scene with with Anne on the train, talking oh. to this. I guess it's someone from the asylum or something. But she hears a, a, a kid cry, and then she has like some kind of PTSD reaction to a kid. <laughs> wow! Wow! All within the first five minutes of the series, they set up her, and then they show scenes. I watched a little bit more, and they show scenes with with her being beaten by the previous family, the ones where she was taking oh, care good of. Oh, heavens. Wow. That, yeah, that's... That, that, family, that eight kids were beating her, and that's when the, and then the, the, the man there gets, has a heart attack or something, which mm. I don't Lord. know if that's setting up, of course, Matthew having a heart attack and she having affection for him and not this guy, maybe. But they kind of set her up as having PTSD from, from the beginning of the series. And it's, I, again, I didn't feel it. I, I didn't also, I, I didn't feel it in the story when I read it. Yeah, yeah, that's really but interesting. I, I could and, see it, it, you could read it that way, I suppose, but that's not how I experienced the novel. Yeah, you could. And, and it's interesting that that's how, that's the take they're doing now in 19 or 2019, as opposed to previous ones. You know, like, it's interesting how each, each generation or re, each reiteration of it brings something different or brings whatever is, you know, present within the society to it. Yeah. It's almost like in another generation, they'll make her, make her a mentally ill child, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I didn't mean to imply I felt that in the story. I just found her temper on those points to be really understandable because she'd be really contrite over other things. And, and I um, found her temper understandable, too. But it, but it felt like her character as opposed to I'm bringing this yeah. because of my upbringing. Because I didn't feel her upbringing 
She didn't, no, she that's didn't, true. You know, that's true. I was being too modern. Oh my god! You were seeing. <laughs> oh no! Oh, this is cruel. Oh, self-revelation. Okay, fine. I'll apologize to everyone. Perhaps so beautifully that I'll enjoy it myself. <laughs> First to Anne. So uh, I want to um, uh, remind you that uh, she was published in Weird Tales. Of her 500 short stories, (laughs) (laughs) only one was published in Weird Tales. It was in the August 1953 issue, uh, sorry, 1935 issue of Weird Tales, uh, along with the Clark Ashton Smith and uh, Seabury Quinn, sort of staples of of, uh, Weird Tales. There's a Lucy Maud Montgomery story. Uh, called The House Party at Smoky Island, a quaint and appealing weird story by the author of Anne of Green Gables. And then when you actually scroll onto the actual page, there's a beautiful piece of art. And uh, again, it says, a quaint little ghost story from the author of Mm. Anne of Green Gables, Uh, basically treading uh, on her, or is that the right word, treading? No. Depends on the rest of the sentence. Yeah, treading on her reputation as author of Anne of Green on the Gables. coattails. Yeah, yeah. So, a uh, riding on the riding on the coattails. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So she um, she's super famous, right? As authors go, uh, mm-hmm. in her lifetime, she was like, she wasn't Charles Dickens level famous, but she's pretty close to Charles Dickens Dickens level famous um, in North America and. Uh, obviously around the world, if you watch any uh, documentaries online about, uh, you know, Anne of Green Gables, they always go into how many tourists there are visiting um, Prince Edward Island, basically the least interesting island in all of Canada, right? How harsh. (laughs) Well, seriously, I mean... There's lots of islands. Well, you know, Newfoundland's more interesting than Prince... uh, Oh, but I thought, isn't it super beautiful i mean isn't that part of it i, I don't know I'm yes just of course but it's it's made beautiful i mean lot, there's lots of other pretty places in canada too but the romance uh, of the beauty of prince edward island is anne right and her describing and renaming well, everything true right so yes it's true. a pretty place but the reason the japanese want to go there is <laughs> because of the i love that the cartoon yeah. and the you know the books and it's people all over the world, but especially the Japanese are really into it. Um, there are other... Well, duh. Yeah. You know, the Germans, they're into anything they're into, they're the, totally into. The Germans so. want to come to Alberta and British Columbia for the mountains uh, because okay. there was a book in the ni- late 19th century, a book series about a German uh, immigrant who had a, a native friend who, you know, journeyed all over Canada um, having adventures and stuff. So there's, there's still, you know, tourists, Exotic. a legacy of tourists from a hundred years ago. Right. Um, and the yeah. same, same story. This book is, uh, you know, more than a hundred years old and there's still yeah. Japanese tourists coming to visit. So th- that is the level of, um, of impact this book has. So how can I ignore it? That's basically my explanation for why <laughs> I'm doing a show on this. <laughs> I told someone that uh-huh. we were going to talk about this on the SFF audio, and they said, what does SFF stand for? And I said, well, there's no SF in this, but there's plenty of F. Lots so much fantasy. Yeah. So yeah. it works. Um, one thing I did want to add when you were talking about the uh, weird tale, 
she wrote a book for adults and she may have written more than one book for adults, but I've kind of got this fondness for this book I discovered a couple years ago, maybe called The Blue Castle. Mm -hmm. And it is about a young woman who's always been picked on by her family. You're nothing. You're not smart. You're not pretty. Blah, 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 blah. And she gets a note one day from her doctor who she recently viewed for, you know, like, oh, my chest is hurting. I'll go see him. And he's like, oh, you're going to die within a few months from a heart problem. And she's like, what? And she immediately changes all her behavior and starts telling off her family and just goes and does what she wants because they kind of cast her out. And she winds up living with a, you know, taking care of a disreputable guy to to make money. And um, it, it's you can easily see it's by the same author because mm -hmm. I found it entertaining and enjoyable until the very end when she gets married and suddenly it's the most imaginative, romantic, you know, blah stuff in the world. But <laughs> up to that point, it was really interesting to watch her kind of taking this idea and going, that's, take that, everybody. That's so, um, yeah, um, I, I didn't read that book, but I did read about it that it was banned in some libraries for featuring an unwed mother mm -hmm. and uh, an undressing religious hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Shocking. <gasps> yep. What? And and they said that it was uh, adopted and sold out in Poland. <gasps> Why? Those Poles. Those rebels. No, but that's interesting. <laughs> like, you know, the well, different countries she's... That, that, that grab onto something for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't remember the unwed mother part, so clearly that didn't hit me. But she is living in unusual circumstances, and the guy who's kind of courting her is a very disreputable fellow. Although, of course, it turns out he's not nearly as disreputable as he could be, but she doesn't know that. So, yeah, she's flouting all the conventions. Hmm. And that's kind of interesting when you think about Anne herself, who is being taught to live within the conventions and yet still manages to be her very unique own person because she's irrepressible. She can't help it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, just just thought I'd throw that out there. I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's worth a read. Absolutely. Until the, you know, the end, you just kind of start skipping over it more and more. Apparently, it's but. been adapted to the stage and... It's it's a pretty popular book. Um, I should mm -hmm. also point out that uh, it's set in Muskoka, which is a part of Ontario. Um, okay. That's also where the short story I read is uh, part of, uh, or set, that uh, house party on Smoky Island. Huh. Um, and uh, so she generally did stick to her PEI setting for pretty much most of her books. I, I do not know about her short stories. Um, but uh, wh why? Why we read the book? We've all read the audiobook and listened to the audiobook, and and we, we we've experienced Anne of Green Gables. Why is this such a popular book? It's charming. Um, I was thinking about it, and um, and in a way, it it reminds. I was thinking like, why? Th what this question? Why? Why has it lived so long? And mm -hmm. and and I was thinking, it's kind of like uh, a first girl power book, like cause she's like Katniss's predecessor, mm -hmm. you know. Like she does, oh. she does it all, and except and it's a different kind of boys, power, right? A it, different kind of power, but she's taking on the boys head to head. You know, like, I, I can do as well as Gilbert. You know, like, she's not a typical girl. She is. I mean, she loves imagination and being pretty and all of that. But she also does, 
courageous, stupid things that would be more like a boy book. <laughs> the Ridgepole thing. I was yeah, surprised by that this thing. time, too. I and, forgot and it. And, like, goes to universe. Like, she's, she's doing, she's very outside of her time, I think, in terms of girl what what a girl might do or or could do and 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 and, and like that's got to be really inspiring for all those generations of girls do you think and boys. do you think um well i i i think this is a girl book for sure it right. is a girl book so but 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 like there's, there's a reason i didn't read it when i was a kid it. you know like yeah. my I, I i one of the reasons i i i was thinking about this book is my one of my cousins who i'm you know pretty close to she um it was her favorite book and she read all mm. of them and watched the show and uh she had red hair and freckles <laughs> you know so um i think there was a lot of uh seeing oneself in the book right mm-hmm. and to me I, like i was thinking about what is it that happens in the story well uh, first of all there's a great setup right we are introduced to the place at the same time the character is, right? She's never been to Prince Edward Island before. She's from Nova Scotia. She is uh, also being introduced to us. And as soon as she appears on the scene, uh, the book starts stops basically being a description of stuff to look at and becomes all dialogue, which is almost Mm -hmm. her talking continuously, (laughs) which is really interesting Compared to a lot of other books where, you know, uh, there's a little bit of dialogue here or there. And, uh, you know, like Olaf Stapleton, um, not a single line of dialogue in the entire book, right? It's all just ideas piled up on top of each other and almost no characters. This is all character. Um, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. But you're, you're, Misa, the way you're talking, you're making it sound like she's a pioneer of some kind. She's. I. I felt like she might have been. I have a feeling also, that she's oh, absolutely ahead. the opposite of a pioneer, whatever that really? is. Yeah. Um. Obviously, she's a pioneer in in the sense that this book is is um doing something in a way that other books hadn't done previously, and that's why it's so successful, right? Uh, but I don't. I don't get the sense that she's like. Um. Uh, for example, uh, there's. I think that really what we're seeing in in the character of Anne is is Ella Montgomery. I, I was reading about her life. And yeah, mm-hmm. everything yeah. everything that's in that in that girl's life or woman's life, I guess, uh, ends up on the page here in some way or another. Um, the fact that the main character is a, a writer, <laughs> right, um, and an imaginer is basically what what Ella Montgomery was. But I feel that Mice's, yeah, the Katniss thing, uh, maybe for girls to identify with who want that sort of power. And, and Anne was there for girls like, you know, your cousin or, or various other girls. I mean, you don't have to have red hair to like Anne. But I think she's also there. She's a pioneer in the sense of celebrating imagination. And Absolutely. And the plucky spirit. Now we have other characters who have the plucky spirit and imagine things. And in that you have a little princess uh, by Frances Hodges Burnett. 
um, and she's like Anne's predecessor in a lot of ways. But Anne is allowed to express this in contrast with all the average, ordinary people anybody might find. You don't have the evil governess like Miss Minchin. You don't have all these other things. You've got Marilla, who never had to have any imagination and doesn't even understand what to do with it. Mm -hmm. You've got (laughs) Miss Rachel Lind, who's kind but a gossip. You've got, you know, the boys and the girls like Diana, who's entranced by her, but it's because she's so different. So um, by putting that character in a real world, it's celebrating this is that thing of everybody who was a geek and a nerd and and didn't feel like they fit in. Here's their person, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think for that way, she expresses that whether it's revolutionary or not in a way that's just Definitely so revolutionary. I, what? I think she's counter revolutionary. <laughs> Let's and hear yeah. it. She, I, th- I, I would say she's not a pioneer. Is she's entering a world that's already fairly institutionalized. I mean, there's a school to go to. There's churches. There's a path laid out for her. There's mm-hmm. a testing regimen. Uh, there's all these things. You know, it's it's certainly not the frontier epoch. So right, yeah. but it's how do no, you exist in this pioneer when you're different? Maybe. But uh, she's she stands out. But she she also. I don't know. I, I think there's a sadder story in this for me, and that is kind of how we do sort of educate the imagination out of kids. Mm. Yeah. It seems more imaginative as a, as a more feral orphan, <laughs> and that, that seems to decline over the course of the novel a little bit. Uh, I want to give becomes... you the numbers here, because um, uh, uh, to me, I was like, oh my god, is this for real? Because if you type in imagine or imagination into a text of of the story and, you know, doing a search, it is continuous. Yeah, yeah. Until the last couple of few chapters. Um, after chapter yeah, uh, 16, right, there's not a single mention of imagine or imagination. But it comes, the word imagine or imagination is 177 times in this book, right? And that's not any synonyms. That's just the exact word, imagine or imagination. It is the thing that makes her uh, the character, right? That is why the story is so interesting, is uh, she is creating the entire description of reality. When she tells us what the tree outside her window looks like, she's giving it a name, and she's telling us, you know, it looks like this. It starts right at the beginning with she's going to sleep in the cherry tree, right? Mm-hmm. If yeah. if Matthew is, doesn't pick her up, and wouldn't it be romantic to sleep in a cherry tree? Um, and it won't look that way in the wintertime, but it, it still would in her mind, right? And it's like, well, the, and, and of course, Matthew is this uh, guy yeah. who has probably even less imagination than Marilla. Oh right? yeah. I mean, he's he's very he's you might think of him as thoughtful. <laughs> but that might be credit that may be crediting him for just being quiet, right? Um but we are the viewpoint characters uh of Marilla and uh Matthew for this bursting flower of imagination that is just unrestricted and uncontrolled. However, I have to say, oh, go ahead. Uh, however, this is all within the context of her not rebelling 
against anyone. Mm-hmm. She's the opposite of a rebel. She's the opposite of a revolutionary. She's the opposite of a pioneer. She is coming to fit in. She will discipline herself in order to, and restrain herself in order to please those who she, uh, you know, needs protection of and, well, and, and such. Maybe not pioneer, but, but, Something the book for is pioneering. I, I think. I think the book is pioneering. I don't think that the character is at all. I think she's the opposite. She's she's a um, she grows up to be the school teacher, right? She and, and it isn't like a uh, radical. She she grows up to be a, a churchgoer, right? She she grows up to adopt all the qualities of the people. And she, in fact, at the end, right, instead of going off to get her education, she's going to stay there and educate. That's true. But she could have, though. She could have gone on to yeah. brilliant education. I'm not saying like she's that, like anti... That was the circumstances of her life that brought her back. I'm not saying yeah. she's like, she's uh, uh, anti, um, I don't know, women's liberation. But she ain't for it. And uh, notice that her, um, her, her uh, there's a line in there about how her... Uh, a, a girl ought to vo- uh, to take the religion of her mother and the and the politics of oh. her father. Politics of the father, and of mm. course the politics are conservative, right? Um, which are the opposite of you know moving things along. It's like keeping things as they are, not well, going too fast, right? Of course, she knows nothing about it. So of course, of course. Um, but I, but also, yeah, I was struck by that same thing because they get to a point toward the end and. And uh, this is when, oh, you know, everything's kind of winding up. And Marilla is saying something about when she got into all those scrapes. She's like, oh, yes, I did, didn't I? And I was really kind of actually startled at that point. And I went, I'd kind of forgotten what she was like before. And that's most of the book. And I went, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. yes. She hasn't gotten into trouble in so long. Now mm-hmm. she's just excelling. Um, but I didn't find it sad, actually, because I thought she would probably – and I. I may have read a sequel. I don't remember. Uh, I wasn't moved to want to read the sequels. But anyway, um, I thought she would probably become the kind of school teacher like the one who inspired them. And I thought that's really a beautiful thing because that's somebody who will recognize that quality in others, appreciate it. And, you know, in a lot of senses, there's nothing wrong with fitting in. And I don't mean to sublimate yourself, but I just mean clearly she's going to marry Gilbert someday. I mean, I'm just <laughs> yep. guessing. No, you're right. Um, she's going to be happy. I'm uh, hoping she'll be a mother of happy children and everything, and things will still happen. But it's also in family and community and friends and everything that you find fulfillment, too. And you can still have your imagination. You can still do whatever. But as you get older, you yourself change, too. And sometimes you don't need all that imagination. I mean, I don't have all the imagination I used to. I don't want to read all the different kinds of books there are now. I've concentrated on which kinds do I want to read. I'm not unhappier. And that person I was before helped form me. So I don't see it as educating her imagination out of her. She's just channeling it differently. I mean, I, you know, I would also Evan say might, I, I yeah. don't feel the need for the imagination I may have had as a, I hope I had as a, as a younger child, but I also was educated. I also was institutionalized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I can't really look at it objectively. 
Yeah, do we want to be part of society or don't we, though? You know? That's that's what I was so surprised by. I I don't think it was worth it. That's what I I was so... Sorry. Go for it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, For me, I think really what's, what's the moment that I felt saddest, I guess, when I was reading this book was when she stopped doing the story club. Mm. And she sort oh. of confessed why. It's like, well, we don't really need it anymore. I think that's, I, I forget the exact quote, what she said, but it was essentially, you know, the testing is more important for us right now. Right, getting right. ready for mm. the tests. And, you know, I teach in China now. And that's like, by the time I get them, you know, they're already 15, 16, 17. I mean, they're like, whatever imagination they've ever had has already been kind of beat out of them mm-hmm. by the institution. And if you were to ask them, I'm sure they would say the same thing that, yeah, it's, it's, we got to prepare for our job. It's more useful, you know, that we fit into society or whatever. But I think collectively we, we, we've lost a lot by this. You get, you get all the conformists. It's a sense of joy, but, but also maybe an actual progress. Evan, you get all the conformists, the kids who, who can, who can knuckle Mm. under and take, take it. And I get all the rejects because all the kids who can't, no, seriously, all the kids yeah. who can't take it, and there are a lot of kids who can't take it, they leave. They go elsewhere for education. And the Canadian mm-hmm. school system is much less ri- rigorously horrible than the Chinese school system, right? So to come here, it's like everything's breathing easy. And one, you know, one of the courses that they can take, which is hilarious, is Mandarin, right? So almost mm-hmm. all my students take Mandarin. Because oh, that's so funny. Because it's easy for them, right? It's an easy mark, and oh. they need an easy mark because they want to go to university, because their parents are demanding that they, you know, excel and become, uh, you know, academically uh, great and go to Ivy League universities so that they can become part of the elite and blah 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 blah, right? Which is not. Um, what's interesting is because Anne is a girl, she the fact that she's excelling is sort of that's that's where she's a pioneer and that you well, know, she doesn't yeah. have to do that. Right? But, um, I didn't think that it was Anne particularly that lost her imagination or that calmed down. I think that the, the point was that's what happens to everybody. Like it's a societal I think that that's, commentary. I think that's part of growing up is that like yeah. there was a yeah. summer where I, you know, the, the summer before I, I was playing with Lego um, and I was, everything's cool. And then the next summer i went to the same sort of camp my mom was running a uh a computer camp and we do uh you know basically robotics with lego you plug in the computer it was like robotics where you you have a cable going into your apple 2e and and uh you know you could program it it's called lego logo and you could like program it to draw drive in a circle or whatever right so um the summer uh, before um, it was like, yeah, this is Lego. I can play with it, right? And then the next summer, I was like, huh, it's weird. I'm helping to run this thing, right? But I can't do what these other kids are doing because they're like, they're, they take the airplane, they fly it around the room, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. However, however, I can, <laughs> I can, I can build them a so nicer airplane, change. right? I can, I, yeah. So I can, I can, I can see that there's something changed within me. And it wasn't like uh, I had yeah. my imagination yeah. beaten out of me in that in that particular sense, because obviously I'm insanely imaginative compared to. It's never happening. Yeah, yeah just because you know. Uh, but 
I, I absolutely think Evan's right in that, that it is beaten out of children in, in especially, you know, the more rigorous you are in terms of um, having to meet uh, expectations. I mean, that's what school is, is conforming, right? Making sure you recite, a lot of school is anyways, um, recite and uh, regurgitate and, and make sure that you can pass the test, right? And the test is fitting, fitting certain things into certain boxes, which is absolutely not what I was good at, right? Mm. So, so, I think that's part of why I retain my imagination at, uh, at the level that I have is because um, I was terrible at school and I said, fuck this, I can't do this, right? So I, I just gave up in a certain sense, but I managed to muddle through as well. Um, <clears throat> what I think, what what is stri- so striking to me about this book is that it is a, it is all about, it's the opposite of the frontier, something that Evan talks a lot about in uh, the Philip K. Dick stories that he studies, um, you know, and, and that was something I'd never thought about before. But of course, it makes perfect sense. Um, uh, Dick was always looking for um, new grounds to start a new life in, basically, right? Oh, well, this is, marriage isn't working out. Time to move on. <laughs> and he couldn't he couldn't move any farther west, right? His family moved to the west. Is uh, he's in California, and they can't move any farther west. Yeah. There's no farther to go. So he goes into space, and he goes into the future. Um, with this story, it's actually, I mean, Canada's still theoretically relatively uh, wild, but not Prince Edward Island, right? How many natives are mentioned in this story? Zero. Right? Zero. How many? Uh, how many? Um, uh, you know, it's basically just a, a rural farming area. It could have been anywhere, right? It's 1908, man. They're yeah. up to the times. But the yeah, the the, the, the level of technology is not. It's not. Um, it's not significantly different in you know thirty years later, and it's not significantly different than thirty years before. It is just a it's just a setting for this girl and her imagination, and it's beautiful. But it's all about the character. It's all about her as a character, and and in a sense, in reading about Ellen Montgomery, I'm like Jesus. She really was that girl, right? Like mm-hmm. in every mm-hmm. sense, because when you l- read about her, her. For some reason, whoever wrote the Wikipedia entry was really obsessed with it, <laughs> or I guess people who wrote the Wikipedia entry really obsessed with. Like it, it goes from later writings uh, and love life. Like that's the section together, which is kind of weird. <laughs> like, like uh, Philip K. Dick doesn't have a separate love life section, uh, or if he does, you know, it, it's biography sort of section. <laughs> but uh, the, she wrote extensively, it seems, about her infatuations and falling in love with people and then getting married and suitors and all that stuff. This is something she obsessed with. And we can see Anne kind of pre-obsessing with it, right? With her looks and uh, how, you know, the dress has to be perfect. Okay, this is a girl thing too. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is just also very girly. So now now, now that you've you've stepped on my... uh, my trap. I'm going to spring. Oh, it. I'm sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, th- this is the connection to Weird Tales. Okay. Conan, the barbarian, 
is the male equivalent of Anne of Green Gables. What? Conan what, the Conan? Barbarian is the male equivalent oh, of Anne of Green boys. Gables. Oh, for boys. That's correct. For boys, yeah. No, absolutely. That's probably, now you've put your finger on why I really, I've tried and tried. I just hey, It's exactly why, right? Of course. Yeah, the poetry of the, of the, of, of, Robert E. Howard is incredibly beautiful, right? It's his his prose is is super poetic, and his description and color and all of that. But it's the reason the the stories of of Robert E. Howard's Conan are so interesting is because of the character, not because of the prose. The prose is what makes it uh, stand out, but it, the character and the way. It's depicted is also what makes it stand out in here, right? So, normally when I read science fiction, I only care about the ideas. Like, I just read a story called The Faithful by Lester Del Rey. Um, it's a story about a, a future in which dogs, uh, humans have died from plagues caused by nuclear war and blah, blah, blah. It's a 1935 story. It's his first story. And uh, dogs have been modified, genetically modified and bred to be intelligent, uh, but they don't have thumbs. <laughs> so they, they're going to get together with the eight people who have been genetically modified and uplifted, um, and they're going to be the new uh, children of men, right? And that's, that's a great story idea, and this writing is terrible. Right? <laughs> just, he's just not a great writer, as we know. Right? Lester Del Rey, not a great writer. However, we remember the idea is terrific, and so spending the time with the ideas there is super cool. Uh, I don't even remember the character names. I, oh yeah, the dog's name was Hungor, <laughs> which that is works. A terrible name for a dog. <laughs> Hungor Beowulf the forty-first or something like. <laughs> Whatever. He's like named Beowulf. Though. Yeah, That's good. yeah. Uh, uh, and anyway, the, and the monkey's named Ptolemy for some reason. That's cute. Um, so, oh, w- w- when I spend time with science fiction, I'm looking for the ideas. Um, when I spend time with Conan, it's this um, this ambiguous and strange character. And I've I've been thinking about this a lot because they rebooted uh, the Conan in in I guess not rebooted. That's not right. The way they got the license back for Marvel Comics, so they've been trying to write stories for this guy, and they just don't understand. That it's like giving. Like there was a, I noticed somebody complaining that there was a new um, Anne of Green Gables cover, and it had her with blonde hair. <laughs> oh my gosh! And I of got course, that understanding right? It's like just some fuck up in the you know because it's public domain. They just fucked it up. Yeah, uh, and and people are getting angry, right? <laughs> you you can't screw with this character. She has <laughs> red so- hair, right? <laughs> Absolutely, in, not red. It's from green. In the seventies, they gave uh, they yeah, that's right. In the 70s, they gave Conan a mustache, and people did not have it. <laughs> Just would not have it. They give, they give him a mustache. Like, no, he's clean-shaven, and his hair is, is straight, and it's black, and it's shoulder-length, right? Um, and uh, when it, whenever they screw up, like, uh, the, the latest screw-up, one of the things that they did is they screwed up the language. They, they used the word ass in two different comics in, in July of 2019. In all the history of the writing of uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan, they've never ever used the word, uh, no writer has ever used the word ass. It's just not a word that, that Robert E. Howard would ever have used, right? He would, 
he says stews, T-H-E-W-S, which is the only time I've ever seen the word ever used is in Robert E. Howard writing. It means muscles, right? His mighty thews, right? So this is a very specific and required sort of set of circumscribed activities. And one of the things that you find in Conan is that he is the Sumerian. And we never, ever, 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 ever in any story written by Robert E. Howard visit Samaria or ever meet another Sumerian. So who is this guy? He is an enigma. He's like a stranger from outside, right? And he's dropped into these plots that are kind of formulaic. In, in, I mean, not, they're not bad. They're just formulaic. But he is the variable, uh, if we're going to Philip K. Dick, he's the variable man, right? He's the thing that makes the thing happen as it does. And Anne is the opposite. And she's coming in, and yes, she's the variable in that she delights people and she has these fun adventures, but she's conforming to the society that she's in. Whenever you see a Conan story, he comes into a society and fucks things up, right? He comes into the society and he says oh, I'm going to kill that king and become the new king. Oh, you have a temple that's got a jewel in it? I'm going to come in and steal it. Uh, you're you're uh, a prince of this city? I'm going to steal your stuff and, and uh, run off with your wife who doesn't like you. Right? Well, it's, it's that's all opposite. true. But how many times did somebody, different people in this book say, she is special. Watch out for that girl. That Absolutely. girl's got something. Like So many times she's picked out as apart from the crowd. So she may be conforming. She may be like coming in and, but she does it the best of everybody. Like that's yeah, no, what that's, makes that's her their, different. That's, no, that's what she makes the same as a Conan. So also that's, you're Conan comparing like this, right? the wrong things. Okay. I mean, I get Conan, but let's, it's a different, such a different genre. You're not comparing the right thing. She's, you'd have to compare her to Tom Sawyer. I, I agree with you. Or, but- but think, uh, I, I want to say... Find me a better comparison than Anne. I totally get what you're saying, but it's... Oh, well, I think saying Tom Sawyer, you're absolutely right. She, she's Tom Sawyer, but she's not Huck Finn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's right, my, exactly. That's my, and that's why I'm saying Conan that. does... I hear what Tom you're saying, Sawyer's Jesse. Tom Sawyer's going to end up a lawyer, right? Or, right. or, or <laughs> oh, yeah, he's going to finagle things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, Huck Finn's off with the Indians or whatever by the end right. of the story. That's right. So uh, what what I'm what I'm actually I'm what you're saying, Julie, is not against what I'm saying. I'm saying. Oh actually, no no yeah. No no I'm actually saying that's what's so interesting is that for boys, the going out and adventuring and, and breaking things and uh, you know being badass and looking cool and going and saying I can I can do that thing that you guys can't do, um, yeah, and is doing that but she's doing it always to within that community right mm-hmm. so she is exceptional but she's she's not like um she doesn't like uh grab gilbert and uh you know sail off into the s- western sunset right she she's like right. demure it, and because it's well yeah. she smashes him well, well yeah, but that's girls, you know. In her own way. <laughs> well, and it, what, what you're making me think of, there's, um, oh gosh, the name of the book is um, 
I think it's called The Storytelling Animal or something. It's mm. a nonfiction book, and it should have been shorter, but it's pretty good. And it's what we're all about, which is that story is what defines us as human beings. We think in stories, all this kind of thing. Yes. And, um, of course, Anne is the epitome of that in that way. And But one of the stories that's told in there is the teacher who was really determined that, and we've all heard variations of this, but she was, this is a real woman telling the story saying she was determined there were no gender differences. And so ah. she made the boys have brooms and she made the girls have spaceships. And by the time she was done, the girls were putting the spaceships to bed and feeding them dinner. And exactly. the boys were coming over with the brooms to save them <laughs> from the, the aliens who were going to take the spaceships, you know, or they were kidnapping the spaceships and the girls were crying to get boys to help them get them back and so uh, she finally said oh screw it i give up you know fine be the way you are and that's what you're saying essentially yes. is yes. these are appealing to the differences in gender that it's something um, and, and it's not universal right so not every girl right. is is a um is an ann right that wants mm-hmm. to right. wants to conform and wants mm-hmm. to get married um obviously even Ella Montgomery is not a hundred percent that because she's just, she's, you know, she wanted a divorce, right? Mm-hmm. She, 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 yeah. But the thing is, is she also wanted to be a good wife. And so she would pr- push down on like, it, I don't know if you guys read about her, but she, she's really interestingly documented. And like one of the things that was so striking to me is that her husband is kind of smarter than her even though she's the book smart one, right? She's the right. one who says, um, I can't believe I'm married to this doofus who won't read books. <laughs> um, and he's he's all like depressed and stuff, but uh, she's depressed too. And they're depressed for different reasons. He's depressed because um, basically, uh, <laughs> well, maybe the same reasons, but more importantly, uh, there's this incident that happens, right? World War One, And what happens is, uh, Ella Montgomery reads in the newspaper about the rape of Belgium and can't get over the ideas that are put into her head, the images that are put into her head about what's happening in Belgium and how evil the Germans are. It Can it possibly be that they are killing ch- little children and maiming them? That can't possibly be, she says. And what does she do? She goes and does her best to make every man in her community go to fight the evil that is the Germans, right? Mm-hmm. You need to join up. You need to go off there. And then, of course, what happens? You know, the meat grinder that's World War One, And all of these young men not coming back in whole and, you know, healthy, but coming back in coffins. And she feels terrible, right? But mm-hmm. she, she pushed it. And she put, she, like, her husband is like, no, I don't think this is a good idea. He's not reading the newspaper, right? She's desperately... Every time there's a victory in the uh, on the Allied side, she's like ra- she raises the Russian flag over the house. Right? It's like what? <laughs> she's just so imaginative, right? She's living in her old uh, her, her dream of what what's going on in these books and these newspaper stories. She's blind to the fact that yeah, this is propaganda, and basically she's serving forces that are controlling her through what she's writing and. Her imagination, what Marilla and mostly Marilla, less so Matthew, about tempering down her imagination, I think we're supposed to think, it, at least at first, that this is a, um, it's like a, a restriction. But Marilla is so soft, right, in terms of she's not mean. 
right? Mm-hmm. She, there's a couple of scenes, like when she loses the brooch, right? And she punishes her. Yeah. Um, that scene was like, oh, that's unfair. Um, on the other hand, um, it's, you know, she's not beating her with a stick. And, um, you know, there's, there is really no violence, right? And it and it's always showing Marilla's internal conversation too. Exactly. She's like, "Oh, I really don't want to do this. Oh no, I have to." And so, in that case, it's also showing Marilla internally fighting with herself against here are the conventions where you feel like Miss yes. Rachel Lind or somebody mm-hmm. like that wouldn't worry about those things. She'd just go, "This is the way it works." Right. And when she goes to, actually, maybe that's who she goes to for advice about how do I deal with this when Anne doesn't want to go back to school. And we we thought Mm -hmm. that Miss Rachel Lind was terrible at first, right? Right. We we thought she was a monster, just like just like Anne described her. But by the end of the story, she's not a monster at all. She's she's just a a woman who's a bit mouthy, right? (laughs) Right. And and what happens is through all those things, one of the things I like about the book is you get to see both. And helping people change because she's shaking them out of the way they think normally, even though she's doing it within conventional bounds. And I'm sorry I put the flowers on my hat and blah, 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 blah. All the things she's bringing up are things that kind of strike people. Mm-hmm. And this is helping change the people that she's around also, even as they change her. And that's, I think, extremely realistic. This yeah. is how we live. Yeah, no, you know? that's what's so interesting is this is not a fantasy novel. It's about yeah. a girl with a fantastic imagination, right? It's, right. It's it's not it's not Pippi Longstocking, which is another sort of similar thing that uh, like I I I thought was really cool, right? Um, I don't know if you guys know who I've Pippi never Long. read that. Yeah, yeah, Pi- no, Pippi. You knew. Okay, she's sort of like the Scandinavian equivalent uh-huh. <laughs> of. of uh, I know she has long red braids. That's uh, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what color they are, but they they're magical, right? They can go up and she can fly. Oh, okay, got (laughs) it. So weird stuff. Um, so her imagination can go beyond just the naming, uh, and and can and uh, it's really interesting the dynamics that are going on here. I think unconsciously within the writing of of the book, because what what she does is she says, "I'm going to." help my friend diana i think it's diana cultivate mm-hmm. her imagination right mm-hmm. um which is something you can do i think at mm-hmm. least to some degree right um and marilla and uh matthew also have their imagination cultivated a little bit as well right that you know yeah. mm-hmm. matthew has that little initial idea maybe maybe we could keep her <laughs> right <laughs> that, that in itself <laughs> Well, also, the thing is, is as you're talking about this, and I'm thinking of one of my favorite instances of imagination, it's showing the pros and cons. And here's how you learn as a very imaginative person to kind of rein it in or or let it go. And I mean, meaning enjoy it. And so when she's uh, the, the haunted wood. Right. That they make up all the things of the haunted wood and scare themselves to death with it. That's what that, Marilla, that's the, yeah. the quote that got me to want to read this book. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. What was it? Uh, no, I, I, I think it's the, uh, I, I think glowering. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Yep. Um, here it is. Uh, what chapter is this? Uh, chapter 20. A good imagination gone wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> nobody confessed, Anne. Diana and I just imagined the wood was haunted. All the places around here are so, so commonplace. We just got this up for our own amusement. We began it in April. A haunted wood is so very romantic, Marilla. 
We chose the spruce grove because it's so gloomy. Oh, and we have imagined the most harrowing things. There's a white lady walks along the brook just about this time of night and wrings her hands and utters wailing cries. This is uh, a gothic novel right she uh, she appears when there is to be a death in the family and the ghost of the little murder child haunts the corner up by idlewild another place she named right it creeps up behind you and lays its cold fingers on you on your hand so so and uh, so uh, one of the cool things about the this dialogue driven book is we actually can see the actions through the dialogue. Yeah. She just touched mm-hmm. Marilla's hand, right? Oh Marilla, yeah. it gives me a shudder to think of it. And there's a headless man stalks up and down the path and skeletons glower at you between the boughs. Oh Marilla, I wouldn't go <laughs> through the haunted wood after dark for anything. <laughs> I'd be sure that white things would reach out from behind the trees and grab me. And Marilla says, well, too bad, because guess what? Did you ever hear the like, ejaculated Marilla? <laughs> Who had listened to this in dumb amazement? And Shirley, do you mean to tell me you believe that wicked nonsense of your own imagination? <laughs> Not believe exactly, faltered Anne. At least I don't believe it in daylight. But after dark, Marilla, <laughs> it's different when the ghosts walk. <laughs> yeah. Um. So... Yeah, go for it. Um, actually, this, this stuff had me actually thinking of of, of, of Steve King, actually. Stephen King? Yeah. Um, well, they totally botched the it in those new movies. Okay. And, I, and I I finally watched the second part of that. It's a kid, kid imagination story is what you're saying? Yeah, but that's the whole point of the book is, like, the reason kids are attractive to this monster is because they have imagination, but it's also the reason the kids can fight the monsters because mm-hmm. they have this imagination. And this imagination is true. There's even a quote in the novel, something like, you know, you can maybe scare people with the vampire, but only a kid would imagine that the stake through the heart can kill the vampire or something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the manifestation of this imagination, that becomes a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Which they never really do in those those new films, the film adaptation of mm-hmm. it, because that's what the whole book's about, right? Mm-hmm. And then the whole reason they have to come back as adults is it's the child saving the adult, right? It's the, your childhood coming back and reminding you how to have imagination, which I think what makes that book so brilliant, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, it makes the adaptation disappointing because they really don't even go there. It's just scary things come up and scare you if if stephen king was your dad you'd, but, you'd come you know, I, I come away scared is what you're saying well he he gets into this thing too in the in the novel that it's like adults are afraid of like the mortgage yeah 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 right? <laughs> kids are afraid of of like the vampire or the werewolf right mm-hmm. which if you're a monster who can become a werewolf or something of course that's much more useful to you so, uh, have you read the the comic book uh, called Lock and Key? Anybody? No. No. Uh-uh. Uh, it's by uh, his uh, Stephen King's. Is it son. Joe Hill? Yeah, Joe Hill. Um, yeah, Joe beautiful Hill. art by Gabriel Rodriguez. Um, so this is an interesting. Uh, I, I find it interesting to think like how is it that it's usually not that the the son or the daughter is a good writer like the father or the mother. You know, it's just not you. It seems to be like strange that people are writers rather than it's genetic or something. But in this case, uh, Joe Hill's a, a what I've read. He's a pretty good writer, pretty great writer actually. So uh, the premise of Lock and Key is that um, 
uh, after a death in the family, I, I think it's the father dies, they, the family moves from California to uh, a New England house, a uh, traditional family home. And uh, in this house, there are many keys. And all the keys are able to do things to you. Um, and, uh, for example, there's a, a key called the head key. This is probably the most interesting one. Um, if you put the head key near somebody's head, like the back of their head, a little keyhole opens up, and you can put it in and open the top of their head. And instead of seeing a brain, you see everything that they're thinking about and, and all of their memories. So you can reach in there and pull out a memory that, like you say, you, you know, stole somebody's lunch. You could take out that memory and they wouldn't remember what happened to their lunch, right? Or you can take some object from out of the world, some idea that you have, and you can put it into their head, right? So it's a, a key of imagination, a key of um, memory. And there's another key that can turn you into a, a giant and one that can t- turn you into a, uh, you know, a mouse-sized person. And there's one that can change your gender. And uh, the the explanation for why this is, uh, you know, all these keys are there and what the house is all about. It's a gothic house with many gables, right? They don't know I'm gone, but um, I'm like... <laughs> Anyways. Look. Oh, hello. It's like... Are you okay? See that? Should I just check out? I think so. Yeah, I'm gonna... Are you all right? Yeah, I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I'd be worried about battery acid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Okay. Uh, I, I think she thought she muted herself. Hello. Uh, hey, Jeff. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, my battery on my laptop has suddenly started swelling. Oh no! You got I, oh my god. Going. Um. Hey, this looks wor- uh, This I didn't notice this before, and now it's looking bigger. So I'm going to check it out. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Uh, can you plug, it, plug back in, or you want to come back? Yeah, I'll, you guys keep going. I'll go turn on a different computer okay. if that's okay. Yeah, that sounds okay. good. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye. Well, that's you. scary. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a bad sign. You do not want to have your battery explode. Uh, so, anyways, there's this key, right? That can uh, do all sorts of different things, and where the how the keys are made and all that. Um, is part of the story, but the important part is only the kids can see that the keys are there, and only the yeah. kids can see that the um, the things that they do with them, all the supernatural yeah. events that happen. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, so as soon as you age out, like to, you hit 18 or 17 or whatever it is, you forget that all these uh, imaginations, you know, that all these events happen, and so it's up to the kids to sort of steer the family uh, away from danger. Um, and it might be that, you know, the reason the father died in the first place is because, it you know, something that happened as a kid wasn't steered away far enough. Um, the first book in the series is called Welcome to Lovecraft, um, which is the name <laughs> of their town. <laughs> uh, so obviously... It's, it's some, a comic book. It is, yeah, it's a, it started as a comic book and now it's available as trade paperbacks. and. Oh, it sounds really cool. Joe Hill gets, gets his what fa- his father was trying to say. Exactly. But Hollywood exactly. can't. And, and the thing is, is, it's quite beautiful to look at, and it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's dynamic and all sorts of stuff. But um, 
uh, it's there, there's something very special about getting to the imagination. We never see Conan mm-hmm. as a kid. Conan is just, you know, he's an adult. We we find him adventuring. We don't know why he left his town or village or whatever it is. And whenever they, whenever character, whenever writers try and say, "Oh, I got an idea for a story," I'm gonna Conan returns to Samaria. Yeah, that's like a uh, huge mistake. That's like saying. Um, and and Shirley should return to uh, to Nova Scotia and that family with all the kids, right? <laughs> you know that she has to take care of. It's <laughs> just things. wrong. It, you don't understand. You've misunderstood the or like saying that you know she uh, cuts off all her hair and buys a blonde wig and wears that for the rest of her life. Like no, that's not how it works, right? The fact that her hair turns auburn and she becomes comfortable with it is the important part, right? The fact that she can she can romanticize her her hair and the fact that she's got a nice nose, right? There, there's, it's very much I think it, she's deeply understanding or getting in touch with the the desires and interests of girls. You know what? That's all true. But so I'm the girl that read yeah, that yeah. book, and and I never read it as a kid. But even if I had read it as a kid, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have. Like all of the girly stuff mm-hmm. wouldn't have appealed to me at all, and it doesn't mm-hmm. because I, I didn't care about dresses or sleeves. Like I couldn't give a fuck then or now. Mm-hmm. But the thing about her, I still loved her because of the other things that that she was, um, which is, I mean, so so it 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 has more than just typical girl things it's like a person yeah she, she's a, she is an absolute character right she yeah she is the book right marilla is as nice and i like matthew a lot but the only reason i i would spend any time with them is because of her oh i would like to read a story about marilla actually well as long as it's written by Anne shirley aka ellen montgomery I, yeah, I'm with like, you. What, what right? happened to her? Like, what brought her to that? Well, you know, that's the huge revelation. I was watching the first episode of that Japanese uh, adaptation, Evan. I'm like, yeah, they're brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> like, was this mentioned in the book and I didn't notice? I thought Marilla notice? and yeah, Matthew were married. You did? I, I, th- I absolutely thought they were married. It was in the first, like, I Two missed it. Paragraphs. I missed it. Or whatever. And so I'm, I'm like, why didn't they have any children? No, they're barren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I didn't see their relationship as a brother and sister relationship. I saw it as a husband and wife relationship. See, that's very interesting. I know. I, and I'm I... shocked. To like, it just says they're siblings, and what siblings? What? <laughs> and of course, it comes back in the end, right? Uh, they do talk about it, but. Uh, I guess I wasn't paying as close attention. I was lost in my own little dream. Wouldn't change that much, I think. No, it's uh, that's so interesting, right? Is that is that why are these two, why are these brother and sister living together on this farm alone? Uh, well, um, doesn't say really. I, well, when I, is this? I, set? I, I get, is this set in the eighteen seventies or so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's basically her story. So they right? settle yeah. there, maybe. 1840s would i mean was that still frontier times and mm-hmm. pei yeah uh, it's hard to say probably not um uh, in fact i want to i want to point out that um uh ella montgomery herself 
was raised in PEI in basically the place where it's set by her grandparents after Mm -hmm. her mom died and her father moved to like the Northwest Territories or something. Um, So she isn't romanticized. She's romanticizing a little bit, right? Saying that she came from away um, and, and notice that the parents, grandparents would have been the right ages, right? Matthew's supposed to be about 60, Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationship between them is very, you know, um, there isn't a lot of sexy time with Marilla yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, Matthew, right? They're, they're romantic. Uh, in fact, it makes sense that Matthew didn't get married because he's, he was afraid of girls basically, right? Um, that's yeah. one thing, one of the things yeah, about his character. Yeah, once about courting and he said it never came to me, so... Mm-hmm. And Marilla said, did what, what, um, and that's a nice connection too. Marilla did what, what, uh, Anne did, which is spurn a boy, right? But she never forgave him. And she wished she had, which is what, uh, Anne does, right? Yeah, and there's a sense of humor hiding there and slightly lost. Like, there's a lot oh, yeah. of stuff about Marilla. Oh, no, they're great characters. That, that I really think is interesting. They're, they're great characters. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is her – and there's a reason it's called Anne of Green Gables, right? Um, <laughs> like Diana's there. Here's an here's a interesting fact. Oh, I don't know. Are, are we trying to get uh, anybody see um, Julie back? I, I haven't seen her. Um, uh-huh. I'll see if I can add her back in. I don't see her online, but that doesn't mean she's not there. Oh... Um, so what was I saying? Diana. Oh, yeah. So Diana is an interesting character, right? She's there, but, uh, we don't spend a ton of time with her and her family, but uh, we at least get some sense of her, right? But you know, what's really, really interesting is that there was a boy living in their house, right? And he gets almost no attention at all. Like, oh, in Anne's house. Yeah. The, the work boy, the hired boy, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And why is that? Why is the boy not important? Because he's not important. <laughs> he's, he's like, they must have an outhouse, is my thinking. How can we never hear about the outhouse? Because it's not romantic. When you were reading about her, her first house also didn't have a toilet? Maybe, maybe like, a yeah, point yeah, of I contention read about with that. her. No, yeah, no, I think, like... like there, there are just some things you don't talk about. That's why I was thinking. Uh, oh, uh, are you, did we get you back, Julie? I'm here. Oh, yay! Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I don't know if I you yeah you probably didn't hear this. Um, I no. thought when I started reading the book, I thought Matthew and uh, Marilla were married. I didn't know they were oh. brother and sister. <laughs> I thought they said that pretty early on. Apparently, they did. Yeah. And I missed it. Oh. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> In any case, um, uh, it doesn't make a huge difference to the book, um, except you know at the ending we find out a little bit of stuff. I just think it's really interesting that, that there's there's a there's a boy living in their house, right? And he's never mentioned. There's probably an outhouse. It's never mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's mostly it's not like it's told by Anne Shirley, but it is in the sense that Ella Montgomery is Anne Shirley. She's choosing what to focus on right so there's these great incidents where she's making pies and they taste bad and that's really funny and 
you know, you can visualize it incredibly well. And then, you know, there's the pigtails incident and also, you know, there's so many. And the dresses with the poofy shoulders and the fact that she's going to put on plays. And, like, there's all sorts of many, many incidents she focuses on. And then there's all sorts of stuff happening in the background that she absolutely does not focus on. Like the fact that there's a boy living in their house. (laughs) I know. He just gets mentioned occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Because he needs to be there to explain, you know, how they solved the problem of the boy couldn't, um, you know, uh, they didn't replace her with a boy. And and there's so many details like that that are sort of like I thought it was really interesting finding the way that the explanation for how. Anne ended up there. Like, they go to visit the lady who was adopting a girl. And she says, oh, I heard it from my cousin who who told my daughter to absolutely tell me to get you a girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so notice that the blame is so diffused, right? <laughs> I kept thinking nobody could write a note. Nobody yeah. <laughs> could just, uh, you know, well, they're unlettered, jot maybe. this down where it's word of mouth. That's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they got the right age, right? 10 yeah, to 11. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and in fact, the, this book takes place over about five years, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's interesting because I think had she known it was going to be a massive hit, I think she probably would have slowed it down because of all the sequels that come, right? She's she's going to have to slow those down. Otherwise, she's going to burn through. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like... It feels right in this book. I, it's basically a perfect novel, as far as I can mm-hmm. tell. There's not a, a note off, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's why you you can go on and read the sequels if you want, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you could see why. You know, that's when you're young. You you know, you read uh, all the Dragonlance novels or all the Green No novels or whatever it is. All right? the Little House on the Prairie. I read all the Little House on the Prairie novels. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> many a times. All the Nancy yeah, Drews too. and all the mm-hmm. Hardy Boys, right? You can read through. And those too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and, those, uh, and they're not well-written, right? But Nancy Drew is such a good character because she's, she's kind of like, an, uh, she's kind of like, Anne Shirley, I, I don't know if you guys have read any Nancy Drew lately, but I, I she is not like Anne Shirley. <laughs> no, 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 she is in in a certain sense. Um, she has no imagination <laughs> in a sense that um, like l- legit uh, Ella Montgomery has, but um, she's always out there imagining sol- solving mysteries. But more importantly, it's so interesting the way she solves the mystery. She goes to somebody's house who's had like some mysterious happenings, right? And then she spends time with them, making them sandwiches and <laughs> spreading out uh, right picnic stuff. And then um, hanging around, they sort of think about stuff and investigate. And she's got a friend and her dad gave her a car. And <laughs> it's it's really girly, which is really interesting because it, it, even though she seems like an iconic uh, sort of groundbreaking Katniss Everdeen character. She's actually very conformy. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, seriously, it's George, her her friend George, yeah, who's the right tomboy, now. who's uh, yeah, different. Yeah, it's it's, it's striking. Yeah, I I I don't think I ever read the Hardy Boys though, so I can't say what they're like. I didn't read the Hardy Boys. I read almost all the Nancy Drews too, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and they're not well written, not like this. No, but they're no, but no. they're they're very consumable, and they 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 keep you interested, right? They're popcorn yeah. books. They are very much mm-hmm. like that. Just fluffs. Whereas this is uh, more like ambrosia. <laughs> That's what <laughs> my grandma made made something she called ambrosia. I I kind of think of my grandmother as kind of like uh, an Ella Montgomery because she's a school teacher and ah. uh, you know. And she's a Christian uh, lady who really was trying to keep her religion. And she is kind of very similar to, um, you know, and, you know, grew up in the prairies and, you know. Well, and it's funny because we, this is always compared as we've been doing to the Little House on the Prairie books. But the other book that I think kind of from a similar time period that goes opposite this is Little Women. Mm. Right, and um, that's got also liked by the Japanese, by the way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the Jap- yes, they, they also did a whole anime series of Little Women. Interesting. Well, yeah, and that one is much more overtly. You know, the the mother gives them for Christmas the um, Pilgrim's Progress, mm-hmm. and the first half of the book, at least, is is kind of watching them as they kind of struggle with some of the things that the Pilgrim's Progress brings up. And this is thanks to Heather at Craftlet. I never would have seen it; I just read it. But um, you know, she's pointing this out as you go along through the book. If you listen to the podcast on it, and um, it's. Can be read without knowing any of that. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're wonderfully good adventures, but when you dig a little deeper, you see they're talking about where do you give in, where do you stand up, where do you conform to society, where is it that, like, of course, Joe is Louisa May Alcott, mm-hmm. and you know, where is it that you're so different that you can't? Um, and what do you do for your family and your community that, out of love, that changes you or defines you? And that's a lot of what we see in Anne, although, of course, what I love her for, especially reading this, is the storytelling mm-hmm. element and how she's able to transform things in a way that we see as right now. And how much did she, did L.L. Montgomery's book help us see that? Mm-hmm. Like the prayer, when she's, you know, Marilla's like, say a prayer. Okay. I've never done it, but I'll make one up, you know, and it's a perfectly wonderful prayer. And then Marilla's like, oh, good Lord. Yours truly, and Shirley. Yeah. (laughs) Later, she's like, I I guess I shouldn't have said that. That's like a letter, but I'll come up with something better. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then later, you know, she's like, oh, the, the, our father or the Lord's prayer, depending on which you call it the, you know, oh, this is actually really quite good, you know, but then later, they're going through the woods um, some later time period. And she's like, oh, this praying is not the same as a prayer. And she's yeah. like, I would fly up with the trees. I would be on the wind. I would, I, I'm just going to think and not talk. And Marilla's like, oh, thank you. Um, but we also feel the rightness of that. There's, so, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's it. Oh, because uh, I, I was apparently um, she, the author, she used to experience nature as um, she would call it the flash, mm-hmm. which is like momentary uh, tranquility or clarity while walking in nature. And she gave that to Anne. And that was how I was thinking about her. Yeah. So she was having religion sort of uh, put on her head, but, but her own innate religion was, was the nature. Well, that's that, the fairies. You know, and uh, it, 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 we actually have something that's never explained. I'm really curious about it, which is, um, the dryad spring is that what's no the dryad <laughs> bubble yeah. 
It's yeah. like, what is that? Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, she's naming everything fancy names, right? It, the, the and she one, doesn't know what a dryad is, she says. Right, right. She says yeah. everything's fairies and, and dryads. So she's definitely uh, a natural, you know, spirit, spirit-like searcher, right? Mm-hmm. But she's mm-hmm. she's given this religion and she went to Sunday school and, okay, well, we'll do that, right? She took it, yeah. yeah. Well, and for me, you know, I think I've mentioned Psalm 19 before. That's absolutely, you know, the the heavens are telling the glory of God. And it talks about the birds and the firmament and the stars. And it says, without saying a word, they cry out who made them. And so, to me, I look at that and go, oh, Anne is able to go, oh, this is what I was feeling all the time. And she's translating it in a way that Marilla just doesn't understand, being a non-imaginative, good church-going woman. But it shows the various ways that you can experience this, and they're all legitimate. She has, and she, I guess she, that's kind of what I meant about it helping form us. Yeah, you she, know, she, way, just people. Everybody read the book, kind of went, "Oh, okay." She is a church-going woman, but she gets a lot of headaches, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are migraines uh, yeah the migraines yeah. but apparently yeah. that was something that uh montgomery suffered as well right so oh. so that's kind of like her okay. i think being all the characters as well um, mm-hmm. now uh, you know we at the beginning we were talking about uh, about Anne having ptsd i think she has the opposite of whatever that is in, in this book actually but um, yeah. i can imagine you know if if trends continued in 10 years they're gonna, uh, they're gonna change the name of the book to Cordelia Montmorency <laughs> because Anne of Sh- Anne of Shirley was her. It, that's her dead name. You don't dead name a girl. She doesn't have red hair. She has beautiful auburn locks, and she's not skinny, oh. right? <laughs> so all the yeah. all the uh, the fact that the girl the the lady what what's the neighbor lady called? Can't remember. She says you're skinny Lynn? and. Mrs. Lind? Yes, Mrs. Lind. <coughs> Rachel Lind. Uh, she she says you're skinny and you have uh, very red hair. <laughs> and freckles. And freckles. So many freckles. I don't know how anyone can stomach that many <laughs> freckles. And she goes awful. off on her because she's saying my f- fantasy beauty is not I, – I don't remind me of what I actually have, right? Don't remind me. And – we understand why that would be, you know, it's like somebody. And saying, she points that out. She goes, how would you like people to say what? You're short, fat, and a gossip or whatever. That's right. It's somebody walking in and say, hey, you're bald. Thanks. Yeah. We Thanks all have these that. truths that. I, I, I wasn't sure if yeah. I was. Yeah. We like to forget. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact that Marilla won't put up with her being called Cordelia. <laughs> Please call me Cordelia. <laughs> no, um, thank you. But you know, this is sort of a struggle that I think some parents have because they they do have their kids say, you know, I remember at one time uh I didn't like my my first name. I just like Jesse. That's not a good name. It's it's people don't get it. I should have a name like Steve. Everybody knows what <laughs> Steve looks like. <laughs> you know, you don't oh, get Steve. any guff if you're a Steve <laughs> or Gary, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But oh, Jesse like was mm. Jesse was an unusual name, so I could have said, "Hey, mom, uh, I want to change my name," and she's she could have said, "Oh, yeah, go ahead." In which case, I would become a Steve or something. And I, I mean, I know that I, I've, I've seen other people do this, right? They do have other names. <laughs> to get, 
one of my friends, he didn't want to be called Jeremy anymore. He wanted to be called JT. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm making myself over. JT's a cool guy. Jeremy, oh, that's an uncool guy. That's my old me, right? So the fact that there is a restraint on on the on the kind of fantasy that's available to you or, you know, like what you're doing with it. I think this is actually a really interesting insight because she, I think she makes a huge mistake in being so imaginative without any kind of check on it in her own life. Mm-hmm. That is Ella Montgomery does, right? I think she, because she gets married because she thought it was a good idea to the wrong person, right? And yeah. then she, mm-hmm. she um, has children because that's what girls do. Um, but she's, you know, unhappy with, you know, some of what her life choices because of her imagination sort of giving her ideas about what should, what is or what should be. And uh, I just, I keep thinking about, yeah, it isn't a happily ever after story. It's a, this is yeah. a crazy girl. That is uh, the original Lucy, right? It was a crazy girl who everybody thought was extraordinary and who had this vivid imagination and couldn't stop writing. Um, and she had a great life in many senses, but she also had a lot of trials and tribulations because of being who she was. Right. It's just, uh, uh, which is life, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's like, it's not what you get when you finish reading this book. You don't say, Oh, Oh yeah. yeah. Right. You get the sense that like everything's cool, but actually <laughs> you might want to consider, wait, maybe, maybe Marilla <laughs> is a much wiser person than Anne Shirley. <laughs> I have to say, too, um, you know, her Cordelia, please, would you call me Cordelia Fitzroy or Fitzgerald or whatever it is. Montmorency is what she says at one point. After being treated to all these names that are perfectly elegant, and I'm like, oh, she should be so thankful. No one lets her go through with any of this. These names are actually horrid, you know, and I don't know if they would have been elegant at the time or if it's a girl's imagination. You know, it's like the things when I thought, oh, when I have a child, I'm going to name her Genevieve and we're going to do, you know, and of course now I look. I'm naming my son Solomon Kane. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or the funny thing is I was thinking, you know, my name is Julianne and you were laughing at the beginning. It is Anne with an E on the end, (laughs) but it's J-U-L-I-A-N-N-E. No E after the Julie. That's low class. Thanks. And apologies to anyone who might have that. This is just my family. So, um, But it's that thing of I've always been called Julie. So when I was in high school or early college years, I went, I, I don't ever use my full name. And it's so much better and more elegant. And mm-hmm. you know, it's more who I'd like to be. And I could <laughs> never stick with it. I wasn't in my own mind that person. Uh-huh. I, it didn't last. I went back to Julie really fast. So it's but, funny you talking about wanting to be Steve or, you know. Well, well, I, I did change my name. Did well, you? From, yeah. From one, because we, we came to this country oh. uh, and um, I had my this name and everybody Marissa. made fun of it no, and Misa Misa <laughs> where were you from and they all made fun of it and called me rodent names and, and I had an accent and and I went crying home to my mother and said yep. please do so, do something about this and so she said go ahead change your name and I went through school as Lisa wow all the way my to, sister's name yeah, high school. And then at the end of high school, I, I decided, okay, well, uh, I'm going to take my own name back. And, oh, and took it then. So, you know, where did um, you come from? Where did you Egypt. Egypt. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. 
My mom's reading uh, Jagmeet cool. Singh's uh, biography, autobiography, or I don't know, his book, you know. Um, and nobody knows who Jagmeet Singh is because you guys yeah. are not in Canada. But ISA does. I hope. I, I don't know. I am in Canada, but I don't Oh, you know don't know? Uh, you're no. you're an immoral person, and I have to argue with you for several <laughs> oh weeks before the federal election. He's the uh, leader of the new Democratic yes, Party. I said book. Yes, I do know who he is. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so she's he? reading. He's the leader of the new Democratic Party. My mom yeah, got a got hug it. from him, like she got a hug oh, from earlier this that. week. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, uh, she's reading his book. Uh, it's the audiobook of it. She played a little bit for me, and uh, he was saying. Um, his parents, you know, were uh, immigrants from the Punjab, I guess, and uh, they were very conflicted as to how to integrate into Canada. And so they gave their kids alternative names to use. So instead of Jagmeet, oh. it would be Jimmy. And he went through high school as Jimmy. And okay. his sister also had an alternative name so that they could, you know assimilate in a certain sense right mm -hmm. and of course as mm -hmm. an adult he takes back his his real name or at least part of his mm -hmm. real name right and and isn't hiding from it because as a kid you, there is this sense that um you should conform <laughs> because yeah. everybody around you is uh liable to tease you and just make interest out of whatever it is is different right and so um it's and is very proactive. And I think, you know, this is probably what made my cousin so obsessed with the books as a kid is that Anne doesn't take guff from the boys or from uh, ladies uh, who are the neighbors who say she has red hair and freckles, right? She is proactive and is defensive and it doesn't have, you know, fall into PTSD at any point and, and, break down she is yeah she has trauma in her past and that she's basically being used like a slave right um oh yeah uh, you know adopted in a certain um, by the way there's no ever formal adoption in this right they never go and sign any papers they just get a kid oh yeah, yeah. i guess that's it yeah and i guess that's also what made me think that they were they were married right is that they're they're both adopting as parents, but they never ever um, call her daughter or mother or she says aunt and uncle at the beginning. Could you call him aunt and uncle? No. Um, Can I oh, go ahead. No, but th yeah, that bothered me in the, in, early in the novel that the original plan was just to basically go to the orphanage and get a slave. Yeah. And yeah. Remember, they said they weren't gonna. They were gonna give them a education and raise them and give them a good start in life mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. That was always the plan, I thought. But uh, not just again. This Anne is all girl. fictional, right? She, she, uh, the 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 orphan in this case, the literal orphan was Ellen Montgomery, right? But it's her mm -hmm. grandparents who took on the responsibility that the father abandoned, right? Mm. And that so yeah, the relationship is they're not parents, right? And and that's it's got to be tough, right? Interesting. It, yeah. it, it's very interesting. She is an outsider, but she's also not right. She belongs <laughs> there, and she belongs in a way that that Anne wouldn't have, right? Being this redheaded, not even stepchild. She's she's not even formally like. There's no papers ever signed. They never, you know. <laughs> there's, there's no uh, court thing where where you're you're our real daughter now or anything like that because they're. 
Not even. It, it's a very strange kind of family, but it, it feels like, natural it, in the way the story is told. Like it's it's never addressed, right? Yeah, she's a commodity at first, mm-hmm. and that's how she's used, right? Any kid from the asylum, apparently. And and mm-hmm. and think of how the girl, uh, girl yeah, exactly. But th- this is um, the girls raised to be girl taking care of girls, right? To take care mm-hmm. of uh, children, right? That's their job, and th- that's yeah, not the job. Yeah, even if they're promising to raise this, like the, when they brought in a boy, that they'll send him to school, give him a good start. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still no consent involved. It's still well, we when you're need a kid. Labor. And yeah. as a byproduct of that, we may, you know, we'll mm-hmm. send And, of course, yeah, we see the previous, yeah, things she's had happen under that same way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. that same system. And it's sort of downplayed in the sense that it doesn't traumatize her at all, right? She just passed mm-hmm. it. And, I mean, the fact that she... Marilla doesn't say right away. She waits till the next day, probably wisely, so that she doesn't stay up all night with her imagination about how she's, you know, too excited to be adopted. Says, you know, mm. we're going to keep you. Um, the the that kind of fear, like when my father died, Jesus, that that scares the shit out of a kid, whether whether they understand why or not. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's like, uh oh, I'm going to be abandoned. Right? Um, she literally had her mom die before she's, you know, consciously aware of it. She's like 21 months old or something. And then her father disappears and she doesn't really spend a lot of time. So yeah, she is an outsider and, uh, legitimately an orphan. You don't have to have, uh, both parents die to be an orphan, but this isn't little orphan Annie either. Right. Which is even more fantastic in, in, and almost like a satire, isn't it? I think so. I've never seen it. I, yeah, I, her 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 adopted the father's Lord name, Annie. Daddy Warbucks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean this is this is got a, and she's a redheaded kid. I mean maybe it's a response now that I think about I, it. I I was because Little Orphan Annie is based on some poem from eight because I was looking at them because they're so they do look similar. I mean I mean they're both redheads and orphans and stuff. Um, it's a but I looked at the I looked at the poem and mm-hmm. it and it doesn't describe uh, Annie. In the original poem, and mm-hmm. I was I was just wondering, did did whoever did Little Orphan Annie did he take the look from this one? I mean, I don't know. It just seemed a lot of similarities. The plot follows the wide-ranging adventures of Annie, her dog Sandy, and her benefactor Oliver Daddy Warbucks. Secondary characters mm-hmm. include Punjab, the Asp, <laughs> Mister Am. The strip attracted adult readers with political commentary that targeted, among other things, organized labor and the New Deal and communism. Wow, this is an Evan comic strip. Well, well, this is just from the Wikipedia for Anna Green Gables. Montgomery was inspired by the Formula Ann orphan stories, called such because he follows such a predictable formula, which were popular at the time, and distinguished her characters by spelling her name with extra E. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, so, I'm not just any old adopted. This little orphan, orphan Annie, maybe not the first. Neither of these are the first orphan mm, Annie. Interesting, something really tapped into. Yeah. And Anne well, is, is I mean, if you think about it, it, is basically it's what I I think I even heard as a kid, probably maybe based on the book though, that it was a plain name, right? It's it's um, oh Anne's yeah. It's not it's a plain. fancy name like Cordelia or. Winifred or anything, right? It's 
It's just oh, I know. Oh, my or Julianne, <laughs> which is a gorgeous or Diana. Name. Yeah. Diana. Oh yeah, Diana. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Everything that's beautiful with raven-haired hair. locks, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things you guys may have talked about this when I was away for a minute, but I also really liked that Anne could be is shown as being very competent and capable outside of the mistakes and outside of the schoolroom. For instance, when she saves Diana's little sister. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. From yeah. illness, you know, and they said, she's, well, I never saw one as bad as this. Even the twins didn't have this happen, you know, mm-hmm. and the doctor's praising her. And that's what lets Diana's mother say, well, you can't be friends now. Mm-hmm. I misjudged you. Yeah. If there's a villain of the piece, it was the, the, the mother of Diana. Right. But again, she, she comes around. So everything is about, it. it's very mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, this is uh, the, the different psychologies of men and women, right? I think, and girls and boys, I think it is the dolls and spaceships uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are absolutely uh, outliers, right? Uh, Misa, you were saying you were one of the outliers. You're not straight straight in the middle, uh, Anne of Green Gables conformity, and yeah. she's not either, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But there is this idea of like, let's play houses, let's, let's um, play families, let's... Uh, make things I, I i mean one of the one of the striking things i remember from youth is boys like to chase girls and girls like to be chased right mm-hmm. like yeah it, it was like read romances yeah yes. abs- but it, it's like <laughs> and and you know the fact i just i i love there's a a few twitter accounts that do that uh where they take the covers of of romantic um uh, what are they called Go- gothic romance novels and mm-hmm. they just show them back to back to back to back. And they're always the same. There's a house, right? A castle, a castle or a house with a high window that's all got a light on. And a, one of the accounts says, women with beautiful hair running away from castles. <laughs> with great hair running away from castles. <laughs> they're always, usually in beautiful gowns as well as they're running away. And they turn back over the shoulder to look at the light coming on in the house. Because there's something terrible in that house, right? Well, this, the something terrible Absolutely. is probably the husband. Right or the uh, the guy the guy who hired this governess or whatever. Right, there's this legacy and the the idea of women leaving the home and becoming part of another another family. This is all sort of baked into our not just culture, but I, I think into our genes in a certain sense. And so when you get something that resonates so amazingly well with people, like uh, this book, there's a reason for it. She's she is somehow tapping into it. In the same way that uh, Robert E. Howard taps into something and says, you know, um, and uh, by the way, there, there's another connection too. The uh, one of the things they take at school is physical culture. You notice oh, that, yeah. right? Yeah. And physical culture was just coming up. It's what we call PE now, physical education, right? And there was this whole movement to you know make people beautiful, and it fit. It's it's actually very closely tied with eugenics. Right, mm. so it's like, well, why, why are we talking? And remember, Olympics, the uh, the revival of the Olympics. There's some sort of like movement afoot that we 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 don't notice in our own. Like, uh, I didn't know why I was in PE class and doing the things that they wanted me to do. I was just forced to do that, and I was like, whatever. I guess I'll do my best, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's this legacy. There's like people who were involved and made it happen this way because of. 
you know, cultural re- response to what came before, where women are dressed up in their uh, their dresses, right? And they've got those um, constricting, what are they called? Corsets. Corsets. Corsets, right. Right. Um, which are designed to prevent them from doing physical activity, basically, right? I mean, that's not what they're designed to do, but that's the effect. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a beautiful figure if you're jumping around all the time. Right. And you don't want to get too muscly either or, or too too dark-skinned because you've been out working in the fields because you have to sell yourself as a – right? So there's all sorts of really interesting things that are just in – and that's why even if – even if there's no other reason to read it other than it's a popular book and it's a good story, is it's a cultural artifact, right? So we've got this picture of turn-of-the-century uh, Prince Edward Island that I think is probably fairly accurate, right? Preserves and apple blossoms and, and influenza, which uh, is not mentioned in the book, but which... Um, how did her parents die? And, and Wasn't it influenza? Or was, I think in her real so life, many did then, so many yeah. people were dying of influenza. But but uh, but her own parents, I don't think it was. Uh, her own mother uh, might have been influenza. Sorry, but uh, Ellen Montgomery's. But her uh, her parents were. Was it influenza in the book? I I don't know. I I thought so. It killed it a lot sick. of people. It was sick. It was sick, and then the dad died right after. So right. Yeah. It wasn't really emphasized. They're when we were very together, disposed think, of very yeah. quickly, yeah. Uh, but she kept their name, right? Which is, I think, interesting as well. Yeah, uh, she's not. She's not a. She's not sort of a realistic orphan in the sense that I think that a lot of the orphanages would have been filled with a lot more um, babies who are unwanted because of it's inconvenient to have them, mm-hmm. given that you're married, right? Whereas this is, she's doubly orphaned, right? Her Parents and family are not available to take care of her. Um, she, she hers is dignified, as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, the bastard children, who uh, probably would be more. Un- I mean, it's that's again the romance of this story, right? Is that it kind of works out pretty well for her, and uh, realistically, maybe she would be PTSD'd or something. Maybe, yeah, it could have been like a Dickensian story. Very much not- so, very much so. And yeah. it would have had a, di- a completely different feel and probably way less appeal in a certain sense. Well, mm-hmm. and I, I do think there's just a touch of offsetting that with her talking about the two previous families she lived with mm-hmm. and being raised by hand and all this kind of thing. Um, there was a big discussion on Craftlet when that book was covered, this book was covered there about you know, what being raised by hand really meant. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it says, Marilla knows enough to read below the surface mm-hmm. of what yeah. Anne's telling her. And so it's never dwelt upon, but it's always kind of there as a shadow. And you then, of course, are allowed to realize just why Anne would have been so grateful to be where she was. It's, you know, it's not perfect as we would see it now, but it was so much better than what there was before. So... It's yeah, interesting it's, also that the story... Oh, sorry, Misa. Go for it. I was going to say that there's something about this, like, Wizard of Oz, in a mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, because at one point there's when she no goes into like town... Home. Yeah, and she does. She actually yeah. does say that. She says, uh, best of all was coming home. Mm-hmm. So there's that place. Your best place is where you... Um, uh, there's no place like home in mm-hmm. this. 
Absolutely. And that and that's in the end she she uh doesn't go to school in order to save the family farm, right? Mhm. Yeah. Um it's inter- I was thinking about this meta story or the fiction within the fiction, right? She she reads novels, she writes stories, right? And uh, there's one that's fun that um they read she reads the stories to the teacher and the teacher laughs even though it's supposed yeah. to be tragic right yeah <laughs> they laughed at all the wrong times that's right yeah, yeah. and you could just imagine uh but i i, I want to read uh this is uh in chapter 26 the story club is formed so uh and nodded trying hard not to look ver- uh, Trying hard not to look virtuous, virtuously complacent and failing miserably. <laughs> I wrote it last Monday evening. It's called The Jealous Rival or In Death Not Divided. I read it to Marilla and she said it was stuff and nonsense. Then I read it to Matthew and he said it was fine. That is kind of that is the kind of critic I like. <laughs> it's a sad, sweet story. Yes. I just cried like a child while I was writing it. It's about two beautiful maidens called Cordelia Montmorency and Geraldine Seymour, who lived in the same village and were devotedly attached to each other. Cordelia was a regal brunette with a coronet of midnight hair and duskily flashing eyes. Geraldine was queenly blonde with hair like spun gold and velvety purple eyes. I never saw anybody with purple eyes, said Diana dubiously. (laughs) Neither did I. I just imagined them. Again, that word, right? I wanted something out of the common. Geraldine had an alabaster brow, too. I found out what an alabaster brow is. That is one of the advantages of being 13. You know such so much more than you did when you were only 12. Yes, that was part of a long sequence of her turning 13, and all everything was, well, now that I'm 13, mm-hmm. everything's yeah. different. And, then and I just the, loved that. Later yeah. on, she, she becomes quiet and... And her imagination is subdued, right? And and Marilla asks her, why are you so quiet? You used to be so talkative. And she says, well, I'm keeping them my thoughts for myself now. But it might be that she's writing them all down, right? So there's a sense that... Oh, yeah. I think, like, if you... Uh, I don't think... Mice, you weren't with us for the biography of H.P. Lovecraft? No. No. Evan, you weren't either, right? Were you? No. Uh, there was a we read a, a great comic book about it, and there was a biography, <laughs> a couple of biographies of Lovecraft, and you know he did write as a child, but not a lot. Um, but he was always doing a very imaginative, like he had a detective agency <laughs> and a fort, just like the kids you know in this story do. Well, Idlewild, I guess, is their fort with the fairy glass and all that stuff. Um, but there is this kind of lying fallow, like letting. Letting mm-hmm. your imag- imagination lie fallow for a while before you can uh, have a burst of energy, and it's like she's, as a youth, she's she's telling the stories to her her uh, new step parents, I guess, and then as a uh, more mature girl, she's like thinking about them and sort of getting ready to write them down. It's almost like the, the this book was written right after, you know, by Anne Shirley. It's obviously mm-hmm. not that way because that's not the way it's the narration works, but um, it's so close to like almost all of the book is is dialogue, right? It's, but, it's but pretty interesting. Yes, yeah, so, 
Because when you say she was lying fallow and, and maybe writing it down, I mean, she won the award mm-hmm. for, you know, literate. What, what was mm-hmm. it? English literature mm-hmm. for, for, for her writing. So that's what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're a writer, Misa. Is this how it works? You let it lie fallow for a while and then it... <laughs> I, I spend most of my time fallow. Yes. <laughs> 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 But it, it has to be fallow, or it won't be. Uh, you know, you, I mean, this is the far, This is the technique, right? The farming mm-hmm. technique. You can't. You can't only um, do one thing; otherwise, you get burnt out, and the soil is not fertile, right? Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to let I, it lie fallow. Doesn't do other people have this too? I parts of my life will lie fallow. Absolutely, and not yeah. just the writing. I, you know, I'll you, just say, "Wow, I'm not being asked to help anyone with anything or do anything." I'm like, "Okay, I guess this is just my." And I will say that literally, my fallow time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then things happen, like you know, my mom moves in. Right. Okay, I was resting up. Now I know what. Yeah, and so. and you you do it both unconsciously and consciously, but it's it, it there's kind of uh, I'm reading a, a really I started reading another book that's very interesting. Um, called uh, I'm going to say Collapse. That's not the book. It's um by Jared Diamond. You guys know him. Up yeah, Eagle. yeah. The yeah. guns, germs, and yeah, something. guns, germs, steel, yeah. collapse, mm-hmm. and um, I, I've read all his stuff. Um, except this new one, which is called Upheaval Turning Points. Um, in I guess it's Turning Points in uh, Nations in Crisis. And what's interesting is he. He says um, crisis points in nations are very similar to crisis points in people, right? And how and the reactions. And then he does comparative examples of seven different countries or something. And then he gives crisis points in in his own life to sort of show Um. how the psychological phenomenon are expressed in. People and and so he had a crisis at at a university. He thought he wasn't going to be able. He thought he should go be a because he was good with languages. He should go be a simultaneous translator instead of being the scientist. But turns out that his dad said, you know, at this crisis point, they had a meeting. His parents Mm -hmm. came to visit him and says, "Well, give it another six months and we'll see what happens." Right? Um, Because it was his own uh, problem. He thought he wasn't not doing the work there. He wasn't going to get fired. He was just like, I don't think this is for me. I, I can't seem to do the job. And turns out the reason he couldn't get do the job was because, um, yeah, the, the way he was measuring it, it, the potential was both positive and negative in equal amounts so that he was measuring it a- accurately. He thought it was measuring it inaccurately, right? Or whatever it is. And, and then, yeah, le- sort of letting your own, I, so I have a big decision to make or I'm worried about something. Just let it lie fallow for a while, and your brain will figure it out. You don't have to be involved, right? That's the best way. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. W- w- you just kind of wait and see what comes. Because worry, worrying, uh, I always think of that word. Right? There's this thing you do when you're a kid. You've got a loose tooth, you know, tooth coming out, right? You can worry oh, it. Yeah. You, you yeah. put your tongue on it, and you push it around, right? And you move it back and forth, and up and down, and left and right, <laughs> And it hurts, but you're you're dealing with it, right? But it would come out naturally by itself, anyways. So should you worry over it? And it's, well, yeah. yeah, you can. You, uh, so I I, uh, I had a problem yesterday. My one of my 
door handles on one of my doors in my apartment was like coming off and there was no way to fix it because there's no screws to unscrew it. I'm like, well, this is terrible. I, I guess I'm not going to be able to go through this door anymore. And I thought, like, eh, chill <laughs> out. You've gone through crises like this before. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and yeah, I spent 10 minutes on it and I, I figured it out. And now I walk away super genius. You know? <laughs> it's like, well, you just fix your own we door know. handle. Good job. You don't yeah. have to hire somebody to do it. Right? You just <laughs> exactly. think about it and sit on it, but don't obsess over it and you'll be fine. Because you've got through this crisis before. Sometimes that's the trick, right? Telling yourself you've gone through it before and identifying it. But also having having the people there, like, uh, are are there any better parents than Marilla and uh, Matthew? I mean, Matthew... Yeah, they're the perfect counterpoints. Right? And Matthew (laughs) says it's your job to raise the girl, but his job is to spoil her. But it's not really to spoil her. It's to appreciate that... She's she's good, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even so, you see them working together when um, one of my favorite little tiny bits is, of course, Matthew's always doing things like getting her the dress with the puff sleeves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Marilla's like, oh, well, okay, fine. I'll just make them like this in the future. Mm-hmm. But um, the chocolate, he buys her some chocolate sweeties. Mm-hmm. He said, do you like chocolate? And she's like, oh, can I give half of them to Diana? That's right. And Marilla goes, oh, okay. I will say this, you know, she's not stingy, she's generous and all this stuff. And so that's them working in concert, both recognizing, um, you know, you can treat her, but also here's the good things about her, too. So, um, yeah. Par- is, the, is the word from Marilla parsimonious? Is that the word? I have to look it up. Doesn't that mean cheap? Yeah, but it's a nice way of saying cheap, right? I um, know, but I don't think... Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, unwilling to She's spend money with, or re- holding is what you mean. Stingy yeah, is a synonym. Frugal is a positive synonym for it, right? But uh, I was thinking of the really funny situation that happened when she she uh, Anne's learning to bake, right? And she oh, yeah. she <laughs> she puts the vanilla extract in, um, and it turns out that it was not vanilla yeah. extract because yeah. because the Marilla. bottle exactly yeah. she hadn't changed the label on it. So it was again Marilla's sort of not it, it's the thing is is that penny pinchingness like that yeah. my grandmother had she uh-huh. grew up in the she grew up in the dirty 30s you know uh where there would be homeless people coming to a farm and asking for food and water right and you had to do that you didn't have 17 dresses and you know a storage locker filled with 400 more right mm-hmm. there was there was three dresses and that was what you got and you have to be careful not to rip them because you can't fix them like, unless you know how to fix them and then what I, if i'm going to spend time fixing that i won't be able to right there there are legitimate economic concerns that right are in baked into the story and the, taking on this girl an extravagance, really, right? No wonder Marilla won't be down for it. Thanks, Matthew, right? Yeah, because she they're still having to hire a boy. So and, and that was hires, the boy was going to help with the farm. You yeah, know? so it's a double expense, right? That's so interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's it's very point. it's very interesting, and that's I I think it's because you know this isn't a if this is a pure fantasy, right? And there's a lot of these. Like I I see I don't read a lot of modern fantasies, but I see you know. A lot of people publishing books and and it's it's girl power, girl with a sword, you know, Red Sonia style, girl yeah. with a sword, and it's like, yeah. well, yeah, but why she got that sword, and you know, is she really able to defeat all her enemies just like Conan is in this sort of virtual? <laughs> no, of course not. 
Um, in reality, you don't use swords to kill people. You use crossbows because you've got an army of them uh, to protect your lands from your neighbors, right? And, and crossbows are simple. They don't require a lot of training like bows do, right? So it's, all, it's a certain kind of fantasy, and it feels unreal, and it feels wrong in a way that this doesn't feel wrong because it's based on the reality that, yeah, they actually did live there, and there actually was this. It's a place to go, um, like, you know, people go to New Zealand to see Middle Earth. Not really, oh, yeah. right? That's all fantasy. Uh, whereas Anna Green Gables' house apparently did get t- torn down at some point, the house where she was raised. Um, well, they rebuilt it <laughs> right? because they mm-hmm. need it for the for the movies and and all the visitors. Apparently, they pulled it. Uh, the guy pulled it down. The uh, uncle pulled down the house because um, too many visitors were coming to see it. <laughs> And it was annoying really? him. <laughs> he couldn't turn the tourist trap into a marketable, profitable thing. Yeah, we can wrap up. But you mentioned uh, the female Conan before, so I was wondering what your thoughts on we're on the CL Moore mm. Jarella Jory stories, mm. which what? I just read recently, one of them. Mm-hmm. And my initial response to it was this is the female Conan. Yeah, uh, have you ever read these? I have, but not recently. It was a long time ago. Yeah, but anyways, in the one I read, it's the Black God's Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, so she gets captured by this general, and she's got the hots for him, but she wants to kill him too. Mm-hmm. She wants revenge, so she goes to hell and gets mm-hmm. the uh, kiss from the god. She gets like the weapon from the god, which is a kiss, mm-hmm. and then at the end, she kisses him. So she doesn't use a sword. Mm-hmm. To kill him in the end, she uses something that's that's kind of feminine. Mm-hmm. Right? I was going to say yeah. a lady's weapon, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's still like really the way she's presented in the story is like this like warrior woman, right? But that's not how she kills her enemy at the end. It's it's not with the sword. It's not with Conan's weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I, I have to go back and read Jer- the Jarrell Jory Seelmore stuff. I mostly know her through her work with her husband. Um, and I can't say, you know, who wrote what part of it, but uh, Henry Kettner had his had a, a very strong voice uh, in terms of great writing. But, yeah, I, I can't say. What were you going to say about the uprooted Naomi Novik book? Oh, yeah. I was just saying um, I just finished reading it. It's from 2015 maybe, and I meant to read it, read it for a long time. And it's very interesting in terms of, well, for one thing, it's a story that you think you know where it's going, and you kind of do, but every time this author gets there, there's something surprising about it, and it keeps going in a way I don't expect. Like, Mm. I got halfway through and went, why is there still half of the book left? We just did this thing, which I thought was the point, and it just keeps going. And also, the author has a way of suddenly dropping something on you about different characters, who you're like, well, but I thought I hated them but oh crap now i get this point of view Mm -hmm. so um but the way that magic is used in this book is very interesting in terms of feminine and masculine Mm. and what's interpretive to both uh the main characters in the book and um it would be one that it even if you didn't want to talk about it jesse i just recommend it to everyone in terms Mm -hmm. of that so i've only read one naomi novik it was i think the first of her dragon 
books. Yes. I read a bunch of them and then started reading Master and Commander and went, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. It's I see what's happening here. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm glad I read them in that order because I like the Master and Commander books a lot, but I wouldn't have liked hers if I'd have read them after. I, uh, her husband uh, runs Hard Case Crime, I think. The oh, imprint. how interesting. Yeah. And I read one of his books and he, he has a relationship with... Um, with uh, noir and hard-boiled books uh, is mm-hmm. pretty interesting. And he okay. he started that company um, because he, he really liked old covers, you know, the 1960s yeah. paperbacks covers. And he, he uh, did it as kind of a, um, uh, not a money-making thing, but let's, I'll, I'll try and mm-hmm. make, it, make money, but it's what he wanted to do, right? Right. Because um, he apparently made his money in PayPal or something. Um, but I, I, I just think it's interesting cool. that there is this, yeah, this, uh, well, and, and, and I've got to go in a minute. So I just want to really quickly, I'm sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but this uprooted is completely different from those books. I expected it to be a bit derivative, a bit. No, I was really stunned. And, um, it starts off with this premise of, you know, the mythological thing of the dragon demands a virgin of the people. Mm-hmm. And that's where it starts, and it goes places you cannot even imagine, I think. Um, very interesting, and um, and I'm sorry to have to leave, but that's I have okay. to go. Well, so, we appreciate bye-bye. having you. It was super fun, everybody. Bye, bye-bye. Julianne with an E. Bye. <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we did almost two hours on this, so uh, we can wrap it up if you're, if you're all done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All Did right. you know, I have one other thing. Mark sure. Twain described Anne as the dearest, most lovable child in fiction since the immortal Alice. Hmm. That is uh, high praise. It is high praise. He he had a thing for little girls, and I'm not saying that in a perverted way. I, he had a friend who was another Weird Tales poet. I probably said this on the podcast several times before. Um, who he, uh, this little girl, he was on a transatlantic um, crossing. Um, and this little girl was a big fan of his work and kept uh, circling the deck, you know, uh-huh. de- <laughs> because she wanted to like, oh my God, that's Mark Twain. But she didn't want to impose herself on, on him. And, uh, they became lifelong friends. Really? Uh, yeah. And he, he like sent her a teddy bear or something. No, it wasn't a teddy bear. It was the elephant or something. Um, and they became correspondents and. Uh, they made a Disney movie out of it, but it's not one of the famous ones. Huh. Uh, it's just interesting because he is a very sensitive fellow, that dude. And he, he, he doted on his own kids as well. I mean, he's sort of, his most famous books are kind of, you know, for children, even though they're not really. They're yeah. I was just surprised uh, that that he picked that her out of, you know, so many. It was children. a huge, huge thing. It, uh, you know, you would... It, it was as big as Harry Potter, I would say, of its era. Right. Right. So, right. I mean, it was an immediate. Uh, apparently, there were six printings in the first year. Mm-hmm. And which, which is, is really interesting because she was rejected by everybody. Her first round. Really. Of sending, yeah, she's tried to. She tried to sell it in uh, 1905, and everybody she sent it to said no. Wow. And she she put it in a drawer. And uh, and tried again in 1907, and somebody in Boston picked it up, hmm. and that's when it went. She had a lot of lawsuits and it, uh, sort of lots of terrible things happening to her yeah, life that are that. not happy. Yeah, he was, he's ripping her off. Yeah, 
but yeah. uh yeah it's it, it's it's fascinating to sort it's like when we did the agatha christie right it's like there's this whole other world of writing that has nothing to do with with uh, tolkien and douglas adams right <laughs> yeah just a whole other anyway, thing. I, I think there's some interesting kind of daddy daughter kind of issue here mm-hmm. um in that it's it's matthew who still who at first wants to initially he right right away he wants to keep Anne. he's right? a kindred yeah, he likes spirit her. immediately yeah. it takes yeah. marilla a few more hours to to want to keep her mm-hmm. but, she's very practical first and we don't really see too much of him but he's he's a know. very sympathetic like a, character yeah he's it's just, I don't know. He's so hard to read because we don't really see. He doesn't say yeah. that much, really. He, but what Shirley, Anne Shirley thinks of him is basically like a good dad, right? Yeah. Partially because he dotes on her. He, he likes everything she says. He appreciates her art, you know, her, mm-hmm. her writing and all that. Mm-hmm. And he I don't needs know. to relax. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those dads who, you know, my daughter can kind of pull me by the leash a little bit. <laughs> I could never do what like the Morella does. No, no, that, that that relationship I think is very common, right? Where the the dad is the do- especially in Jewish families, the dad mm-hmm. is the doting father and the mom is the strict strict um yeah. she loves you, but you know, you can't get away with anything. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Is that is that how it was for you, Misa? Um um n- well, you don't have to answer that if you don't. No, <laughs> no. I, I was trying to think. I was trying to think. Yeah, my dad did. My dad. That it is. My mom was more disciplinarian than my dad. He, but, but he left. So, so it was like a Disneyland. You know, mm-hmm. had a Disney dad weekend Disney time. Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. it, it, I, I don't know what it would have been like had they been together. So it's that's hard to hard to. Well, it's to very talk. hard. It's 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 a huge commitment to spend your life with uh, one person. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't managed to do it. It's pretty so tough. I'm, I mean, yeah, it's pretty tough. Um, Evan, your uh, your parents were they uh, they uh, did your dad dote on you? Because it's I, I I think it's a it's I don't a, know if he did, but certainly I I don't think either of my parents were disciplinarian though. But my mom was kind of aloof, and I mean she's still around, so I shouldn't use her with past tense. But, <laughs> uh, but she's still aloof, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, like she never played with us or anything. She's mm. her own thing. I don't want to get too much into that. No relationship. I need Sigmund Freud there. <laughs> That's a different book. <laughs> that, but yeah, my dad was the like the good parent, right? Mm. Uh, my mom's uh, relationship with her parents is very similar to uh, that. She had um, her dad was uh, you know indulgent and. Her mom was strict, and uh, she ran away from home when she was fifteen. Really? Yeah, which is pretty pretty shocking. She's did she stay away? Well, I mean, I guess. Uh, I mean, her mom still lives in Alberta. <laughs> no, I mean, like she didn't go home. She didn't go home. Oh, I'm she sure she, uh, she yeah she ran away to chase after a boy, right? So oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, like that's just like. Uh, very, she's, I think Anne, if she wasn't so conformy, right, she would be, um, 
much it's really interesting like do you think that Anne is the idealized Lucy or do you think that like because she does try and be good but I think that that's how Lucy Maud Montgomery was trying to be as well right trying to be a good little girl I think she was a very idealized character and I didn't find her as conformy as you do um well uh, she 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 definitely was different from the other kids, but yeah. but but she she didn't say fuck this church shit. She which, didn't, but it was nineteen oh seven. Exactly, exactly. So like there was no, she really had nowhere to go. Like she, she, there there was no way that that character could have done anything mm. like that at yeah. that time. You don't feel the Otherwise, pressure it though. It right? would have been a fantasy novel. Like yeah. it really would have been a whole other novel. Fantasy. Yeah, you? yeah. Isn't Finn a fantasy novel? I guess, but watch? the thing is that people do actually do run away, right? Yeah, they do, but but you're not but you're you're not going to sell you're not going to be a sellout a, like a seller a, a sellout as in sell out everything with that character at that time. If you did that, yeah, yeah. Just um, I mean, I'm fine with that. The, the novel's great, and no, it's per uh, it's literally it, a perfect it's novel. There's nothing wrong with that's, it. That's my position. It's Is it's, it a fantasy novel? Even if well, it's girl power in a way, it, it's not. I mean, it's there's a limit how far it goes. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I just don't think it's that radical of a story. I think it's, it's the opposite great. of radical. I think it it's it's really interesting and it's well done, but I don't think she is a uh she isn't a like when she grows up, she's going to be voting conservative. She she will, but but she's it's just that, she, like she you don't she was one of the she was the person that everybody noticed in town. Like she was the standout character in the town. But that might so just be her own imagination too, right? I mean, it seems that way for sure. But again, there's that boy who's living in the house who we never hear from again. He's got to have his own story in real life, right? That's true. We just will never hear about it. And well, he may run away someday and like go off to Northwest dude. Where is parents? Yeah, be, be a you know, and be a you know, be go to the Yukon or something exactly. and find gold. That's right. He may uh, run into Jack London. Yeah, he is Jack yeah. London for all we know. Right? <laughs> yeah, he can take all the brown sugar with him because he's the only one that'll drink it. Yeah, it's too uh, coarse grained or whatever. Mm-hmm. Boy, good book, right? It was a very good book. Yeah, I'm glad I read it. I, I do not feel the need to read any of the sequels. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not a single one. But I, did, I am glad I read it and I appreciate it. I think I got, I, I got why people dig it. Mm-hmm. I hope. I hope I got it because I seem to have. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Somebody else who are like, I'd like some Bollywood movies. I'm like, well, let's try the lunchbox. It's so Western. But at the toward the end, somebody goes, Bhutan, which is near Tibet, Mm -hmm. right? Has the (laughs) highest national gross happiness product ah. or something ah. <laughs> maybe we should go live there why don't we aim for that you know and i was like oh now you're mentioning tibet so hopefully paul's ah. very happy
Uh, we'll he's see. so close to Bhutan. He said mm. he had a, uh, a, a. I saw a tweet saying he had a, a rough landing at SRO. Is that San Francisco? Mm. SRO Airport? I don't know. I don't know. LAX, I know, but I don't. I've never landed in San yep. Francisco. Uh, so I, I presume he flew uh, in legs rather than all the way across. Yeah, you'd hope. Yeah, I don't mm. even know what what uh, made him think I need to go to Nepal. Uh, <laughs> but he's suge- not going for work or something. Just no, for photography probably. But mm. um, I told him he needed to visit that uh, bar that Marion Ravenwood runs. Hello. Yeah. Oh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Jesus, oh. takes so long. <laughs> you have to help. I haven't seen that in a really long time. Uh, I, I heard it burned down, though. So. Oh, uh-huh. that's right. <laughs> Nazi attack. See, that wasn't filmed in just like, you know, okay. <laughs> oh, uh, you innocent. Well, you it know. It was on location. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's do show, shall we? All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to make right. sure these recorders are visible so I can see if they crash. All right, they look like they're good to go. Here we go. Uh, so, uh, Jesse, uh, oh shit, Evan, Misa. Why is this before me? Okay, okay, you're you're probably right. Jesse, Misa, Evan, Julie. There we go. Really. I, th- okay. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, but I feel like it's right. All right, okay. here we go.